Our mission here is simple, to explore how the innovations of Web3 can deliver on its potential to build a sustainable, more equitable world. Join us today as we learn how to navigate through Web 3.0 to build a better world. We are delighted to have Dr. Irina Fedorenko with us today to share her multifaceted work at the intersection of sustainable development, distributed technologies, and community building. All here to help build a better world. So welcome, Dr. Irina. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, absolutely. It's uh, it's great to be with you right here and, and talk about your work in the world. So let's start to kind of share some commonalities between those two companies that you're, that you're um, you know, champion at so it's vlinder climate right there mm -hmm. you're the, the chief carbon officer and then also co-dialogue which you are the managing director of do you mind sharing a little bit about the common ties that that brings these two companies together uh yeah so uh first of all uh co-dialogue is uh, on environment and security and climate change is a program of a non-profit initiatives of change international where I am a member of the steering group of initiatives of land, lives, and peace. So that's a nonprofit program which unites experts, practitioners, uh, people who are curious about the intersection of climate and security and how uh, our conflicts sometimes are driven by uh, climatic uh, issues and land degradation, but most importantly, how can we use land restoration to build peace and how lasting community development uh, programs and projects uh, that are around land restoration and around ecosystem restoration can actually create a lasting, cohesive uh, communities uh, and natural environments as well as human environments. So that's uh, these are the topics that we've been working on um, with um, initiatives of change for the past 10 years. Uh, we have our annual um, event uh, co-dialogue at co in switzerland and that's also uh at this event uh, several years ago i met uh people who have now uh are in the vlinder team that work on mangrove restoration and that kind of actually it came out um from from that event this um collaboration between people who are passionate about mangrove restoration and are passionate about uh innovation and finance and understand that we really need to channel finance to high quality carbon removal projects if we are to have a chance as species to stay below two degrees celsius warming so that's kind of how it all ties together Got it. Yeah. Let's dive into that mangrove restoration project. I'm really curious. Uh, first of all, where is it? And then um, what what's the, the bigger scope of it? Uh, yeah. So uh, as you know, uh, as humanity, we really need to uh, do something really fast uh, about our uh, carbon emissions. And of course, we have to reduce our emissions, but uh, we also need to remove uh, a lot of our um, carbon uh, emissions from the atmosphere. And we actually need to remove 10 billion tons uh, of CO2 from the atmosphere uh, if we are to reach the goal of staying below two degrees uh, of carbon uh, of, of uh, global warming. Yeah, so two degrees Celsius, and uh, uh, we're not doing it fast enough. Uh, and 
uh, only 30 million tons uh, of carbon removals are verified annually on voluntary carbon market. So there's this huge gap between 30 million and 10 billion. And that's where Vlinder come in, comes in. So we are here to scale up uh, nature-based solutions. And uh, we believe that mangroves is uh, just such an amazing, versatile ecosystem that uh, not only impacts life on land, but also impacts life at sea. And it protects the coral reefs and the fisheries, but at the same time, it enhances the soil. It protects people from the ocean. And uh, it just all around a very effective and efficient ecosystem in storing carbon and sequestering carbon. Some say five times, some say 20 times faster than the Amazon rainforest. So that's just the ecosystem that uplifts uh, the communities and can store carbon very effectively. So uh, we are just laser focused at scaling up carbon restoration. Of course, the problem is that uh, people who usually need more help, uh, who are living literally on the front lines between the ocean and um, the kind of mainland, are usually impoverished communities uh, living in developing countries. They need more help. They need more expertise. They need finance to scale up. And uh, it's too risky for big institutions. It's too risky for, for uh, institutional investors to come in. And, uh, well, let's be frank, sometimes they're just not fast enough. So uh, we, as a team of scientists, of uh, risk uh, professionals, of finance professionals, uh, we identify these projects, we develop these projects, we make them investment ready, and we also invest in uh, scaling up carbon uh, projects, scaling up mangrove restorations, and also enabling this community-driven projects, community-led projects to actually access carbon market. Irina, I have a question about mangrove restoration. So maybe let's start with why did you choose mangroves? That would be interesting to understand. Uh, well, uh, mangroves are truly magical ecosystem. Uh, that's a scientific fact. They are uh, extremely versatile. They're highly adaptive to extreme environments and uh, from the point, obviously, of salinity and the lack of fresh water. So um, they're super adaptive as species. Uh, they have great survival rates and they help both humans and animals survive as well. So if you think of um, an ecosystem, you you imagine a coastal environment and then you have this mangroves as a natural shield and the roots of the mangroves goes very very deep so on the one hand they uh, stabilize the shore and they prevent uh, agriculture runoff they prevent just like fertile soil seeping off to the sea but on the other side they actually protect the shore from the sea so in the event of a natural disaster, mangroves actually help to mitigate this impact. And uh, the uh, roots are also full of nutrients, so they serve as shelter for fish. Uh, they can sustain coral ecosystems. And of course, on the other side, for people, uh, people get better, more fertile land and um, also more fresh water as a result of that. So. They suggest all around uh, magical trees. Um, and uh, they also sequester five times more carbon than the uh, Amazon rainforest. And they store it very effectively uh, under water in, in, in soil and in the root ecosystem. So there's just um, all around a great environment for uh, people and nature to live together. Right, in where, land, where land and ocean meets. 
exactly exactly yeah exactly that's symbiosis where where land and ocean meet the the mangrove grows that's really cool so you've you know so what i'm understanding is that that there is um you know social impact happening uh habitat diversity Mm -hmm. happening and of course there's a positive impact on on climate um it's a very holistic approach um, yeah. Can you share on all of these three goals, the, the social impact, the climate impact and the habitat diversity, um, how you're able to achieve that? Uh, with a lot of teamwork and thanks to a lot of partners. So, of course, uh, speaking about most important stakeholders in this, it's the local communities, right? In all areas that we work and uh, we have projects running in Myanmar, Indonesia, uh, had a project in Sri Lanka. Now we're developing project in Kenya and Senegal. Uh, in all these projects, what uh, they're all very different, uh, but what they have in common is that they're community-based. And they are designed around the local community. They designed around local people, and the local stakeholders uh, benefit from fifty percent of the carbon revenue. So this uh, half of the carbon revenue goes back on an annual basis to the local communities to actually enable them to prosper, but also to monitor and upkeep uh, the forest. So local people are not only employed as planters, even though of course it's a big part of the work, right, to raise, to, to collect the seeds, to raise the nurseries, to do the planting, but then they're also employed um, as stewards of the forest uh, for monitoring, for carbon uh, monitoring as well. Uh, we, as Blinder, we bring an additional technological component to it, which is a drone-based mapping and satellite-based uh, mapping, so it's a bit of, a bit more transparency and a lot more data about each project to actually understand the carbon sequestration almost in real time. And um, the people on the ground, once the ecosystem is restored, then they can use these funds to create uh, other businesses. So in Myanmar, they do shrimp farming and oyster farming. Uh, they do beekeeping in Kenya. They uh, use mangrove leaves for medicine and for um, making a special colors of them. And uh, they plant other species. They do agriculture. They do agroforestry. So it's there's so much one can do once the ecosystem is healthy. And then you also have a regular incentive to keep it healthy. Uh, And then you can develop all other businesses. And I know that uh, the mangrove honey now is really trending in Kenya. So you can go to some um, uh, good restaurants and have uh, some mangrove honey. And that's because mangrove flowers are special and the bees that take, uh, that pollinate from there, um, they make some sort of... uh, uh, very tasty honey. So uh, all these things are very important for the people, and uh, yeah. ultimately, it's all to show that keeping a healthy ecosystem is more profitable than cutting down the trees. Yeah, yeah then, exactly. Of course, and you know, there yeah. are, as we know, uh, from you know anyone who's who's deeply into that. Go ahead. Yeah. Then, of course, from from the climate perspective. Uh, that is also a very, uh, you know, it's very high quality removal. So because it's not just avoidance and conservation, right? We actually are restoring thousands of hectares of mangrove forests. And uh, this is removal of carbon. It's long term. These ecosystems stay protected. They stay intact. So they they are really storing carbon for 
a very, very long time. It's very efficient in carbon storage. And uh, unlike other types of forests, um, there are uh, less risks. So, for example, you know, in uh, terrestrial forests, you have a huge risk of fires. Obviously, mangroves not being wetlands, they're not that prone to fires. And um, it's less risky from financial point of view. And actually, from a carbon uh, storage point of view, it's a very, very efficient. Exactly. And it, it's interesting um, how you shared about the, you know, the mangrove honey being on vogue in, in Kenya right now. It, it's very, very beautiful to see that, you know, um, well-being and the creativity of the human spirit, they, they connect to these powerful impact projects and to these powerful mm -hmm. economic impact projects. And, you know, it's maybe just like when we look at a tree for a timber company, that's, that's just a number in a spreadsheet, but we know that's not the true cost of the tree. Just like if you buy a yeah. piece of plastic or um, anything in a supermarket on this side of the world or the Northern hemisphere of the world, um, that's not the true cost of it. Right. And so um, it goes the opposite way as well, that the benefits are not necessarily linear, but the benefits are, mm -hmm. um, you know, exponential in that sense. And so, it's it's quite fascinating to see your passion for the mangroves and i, I want to hear a bit more about that economic model behind it because what i've read is that um Linder encourages projects to share at least 50 percent of received carbon mm -hmm. credits uh back to yeah. its local stakeholders and so how is that how does that actually work in practice like on on the ground uh well it works differently depending on our partners so for example in um in myanmar uh, we partner with the world view international foundation that's been there for a long time that are very well established and well-known in communities and so they have a community fund and uh so the uh, um, carbon revenue goes there uh and they distribute it based on community needs and voting so of course in the earlier years, they've been uh, equipping schools, they've been buying computers, uh, they've been uh, buying uh, educational materials. Then during COVID, they've been, of course, focused on health and they've been equipping local hospital and buying all the, uh, you know, hand sanitizers and medicine and all that. Uh, so I think now they're back to um, so uh, normal uh, life. So again, the focus is more on uh, creating side businesses and uh, teaching new skills and establishing new, you know, beehives and, and uh, farming and these kind of things. Uh, in Kenya, we work with um, Vlinder Kenya, which is uh, also in partnership with local organization called Umita. So they would also be uh, distributing funds on uh, democratic basis. So this this community based organizations they already have common budget. So so like we did not invent any of this, right? So these uh, community based organizations exist. They um, function as cooperatives, and uh, they already have a long-standing uh, voting procedure. They have chairwomen. Actually, uh, it's very uh, common that it's chairwomen, and um, they know how to vote. They know community needs, and they vote on what is needed every year, right? Uh, of course, carbon is released on an annual basis, uh, so we're not taking about some uh, crazy amounts of money, but uh, we're talking about... Um, 
uh, reasonable amounts where they can buy several beehives, for example, or where they can set up a little uh, farming cooperative or things like that. So uh, that's uh, that's how it works in the ground. Uh, for us uh, as a company, it's of course a very risky investment, uh, but also the um, the upside uh, can be very attractive. And for the investors, it's definitely less risky because we already took most of the risk by, you know, looking at the projects, verifying carbon curves, uh, understanding how it works, going there, setting this up. Um, and so for the investor, uh, it is still very attractive, even post-community sharing, because uh, the car, the blue carbon is now trades at a premium. We know that uh blue carbon is uh very rare there is a shortage on, on the market and it's been sold for forty dollars per ton fifty dollars per ton and um that is more than enough to provide a healthy healthy return yeah let's, uh, and let's of hear course, more about the, yeah. the the blue carbon token so winter blue carbon uh token is uh one of the mechanisms that allows for very easy uh investment in in the projects uh we also have um affiliation to mangrove dao so that's the group of investors that have uh, been investing in TreeCoin uh, in 2017. So that's where the history starts. The people uh, in Liki Wallet, based in Switzerland, they first went to Myanmar and decided to restore, um, to help restore the uh, Worldview International Foundation plantation of mangroves. And they issued tokenized TreeCoin Back in 2017, way before it was cool, and uh, they managed to raise for uh, actually planting 1 million mangroves, and that's how it all started. So now uh, these coins are uh, part of the mangrove DAO, where people decide uh, what they want to do. They can resell, they can reinvest, uh, and uh, keep... Uh, keep the investment in carbon uh, and uh, Vlinder has a wallet and the exchange and we uh, are tokenizing projects so one ton of carbon it's uh, it's one token and we are only uh, working with verified carbon projects so it's uh, uh, verified carbon and uh, it's just a very easy way for an investor to uh, get a token hold it uh, they can burn it, which will mean that they will actually offset their footprint, uh, or they can hold it and uh, resell later if they look at it as an investment. But yeah, the point is that it just allows for a very fast and very uh, efficient way to invest in scaling up carbon projects. Brilliant. Yeah, I want to. I want to come back to something you said a few minutes ago here about how you pick projects. So we know you're in Kenya, Indonesia, I believe Myanmar, and Sri Lanka as well. And mm. um, you know, you mentioned a little bit about on the on the ground um, opportunities, probably also t at times challenges. So how do you find appropriate projects? How do you encourage community participation? How do you train and 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 stay stay in a kind of a you know monitoring of the work at at the places that you pick? Uh, well, we pick places, but we also very carefully pick partners. So we have uh, really good partnerships uh, with um, VNV Advisory uh, that are 
uh, responsible for project in Indonesia. We have great partnership with Omita in Kenya and uh, World International in Myanmar. Uh, and uh, these are relationships that have been tried and tested by years of working together and uh, going through common challenges and also figuring this out because it's a new market, it's an emerging field, uh, and very few people can tell you what's right or what's wrong. So actually, uh, a lot of testing and trials have happened in the past uh, 10 years, actually just um, finding the best way to plant, finding, finding the best uh, way to engage with communities, etc. So. Uh, for us, it's about trust to our partners and it's about extra due diligence and adding more layers of data. So as I said, uh, we're using drones uh, we're in partnership with flying forests uh, to uh, really have very granular data to really see every single tree and sapling uh, that was planted and um, also just using remote sensing to make sure that uh, everything aligns. Uh, and as far as SDG, impact is concerned we also designed our own methodology uh with for each project we have a list of each individual sub goal and what's the baseline right now and how we are going to be tracking it and how we will be making impact on each particular sdg right so it's not just like we are doing social impact <laughs> but it's more about we are impacting sdg 5.1.2 and this is how we're tracking and this is what we expect to see. So um, we add a lot more due diligence here because obviously there are problems with the voluntary carbon market. It's emerging, it's messy, it's not transparent. And um, it maybe didn't have enough it's attention new. in the past few years. It's new. Uh, well, it's old and it's new, right? It, it, it's been there. I've been working on it since 2011. Uh, and um, it's very strange feeling to suddenly be on trend from being an underdog all this time. <laughs> so uh, it didn't get enough attention it deserves. So now we're here to actually make it more transparent and democratize it. That's a good setup for a question about your personal journey here, especially with Linder. Like, what have you learned uh, both on, you know, the entrepreneurial side of learnings and then also on the next generation of blockchain? I'm really, I'm really curious about both. Uh, well, for me personally, it's been also like a long journey into climate change. I've been... Um, always passionate about climate. I was a nonprofit activist since I was 14. I was working on conservation and I've always been convinced that I will be working for an NGO. So uh, I build my education around it. Um, then I get to go to Oxford in 2011. I arrived to do my master's and uh, I learned a bit about NGOs and uh, I started learning about carbon market and then uh, then I became convinced that I will, am born to be an academic. So I was offered a PhD in Oxford uh, University, sponsored by the Weidenfeld Hoffman Trust, which is educating future leaders and especially environmental future leaders. Um, so Andrew Hoffman is a very famous um, uh, leader in sustainability as well. So. Uh, I was absolutely certain that I will do my PhD and I will stay in academia or work for a nonprofit. Uh, but then uh, in my first year already, I got quite uh, frustrated with the pace 
of academia. And if you work on topics related to climate change, you want change, you want it now. Uh, I got to go to climate corps. I got engaged in, uh, well, indeed, the nonprofit and initiatives of change. And I got to travel to conferences. And yeah, as many, I think, many young people at the time. And then right now, I got frustrated and really angry at um you know, all these events where people just talk and there are not enough solutions. Uh, so I decided I want to be part of that solution. And then I met my co-founders in my first company here. It was called Biocarbon Engineering. Uh, it's now called Dendra. It's the company that invented tree planting drones. And uh, with this uh, first company, that is just a great learning, I think, for me. Um, I know a lot of people say that, but you know, if someone says you're crazy, you're probably right. So a lot of people say it was absolutely crazy and it's never gonna work and no one's gonna pay for trees, uh, et cetera, et cetera. And the markets are too immature and it will never be financially sustainable. Uh, and well, we proved them all wrong. So uh, in my six years in biocarbon, I got to, to go to project locations. And that was when I went to Myanmar for the first time. And I got to meet people from Like, who are now co-founders at Glinder, uh, who were in fact uh, paying for the mangrove planting. And we were experimenting with the drone-based planting and uh, monitoring of carbon. And uh, yeah, I just fall in love with the mangrove ecosystem and the people, and I could see myself as well that technology uh, and be drones or being blockchain suddenly makes it cool. Because I think it really hit me in Myanmar when you're in this remote, remote villages, eight hours away from the capital, all young people left, everyone who could leave left. But then when uh, we come in with drones, with uh, sort of uh, GPS uh, locators, and we started doing something that is not just uh, tree planting, but also adds a technological layer to it. All young people come back. They come back to their parents. They come back to their grandparents because suddenly they want to be part of it. And that was also a huge motivation for me and learning. So with Blinder now, um, it is it, it's ju just to see that, that, that suddenly, uh, you know, these areas, they become the place to be, right? Um, and, and it's important. So uh, with Vlinder, um, I am uh, definitely excited about the power of blockchain and how it can democratize and decentralize uh, access to data and uh, enable safe and uh, fast investment in the project. Also, how it can help to avoid double counting, of course. Uh, but also, you know, we still using drones. So uh, we now um, using uh, flying forest drones. So with my uh, co-founder from Biocarbon, uh, he uh, has launched the um, Beta Earth Venture Studio uh, in Reno, Nevada. And uh, we are partnering on that using climate tech as a community-centered, community-led way to improve their own ecosystems. So, you know, in Kenya, uh, Flying Labs, a local organization based in Nairobi. Uh, they are the pilots, they have the hardware, and um, they're the ones who are doing the mapping. So it's no longer us coming as you know foreigners from cool universities, uh, but it's literally building capacity on the ground and making it cool for young people. And I think that uh, that really makes me really passionate about my job. 
Yeah, I, I love how passionate you are, Irina, and I love how um, what you're saying there rings really true that, you know, the, the old colonial ways and, you know, the, the industrialization ways are to replace local people with mm -hmm. experts, etc. But it's really the other way around that change happens, yeah. right? Um, so I'd, I'd love to close on this question and, and ask your, you know, your view or your advice that you would give to young people all over the world uh, that are listening in our audience today um, for, you know, opportunities, both in the blockchain space or in the environmental space or in both. What advice do you have to give? Uh, well, we need talent in all of <laughs> in both of the spaces, uh, so both in blockchain and in the environment. Uh, but I'm not going to lie; it's not easy. Uh, but uh, luckily, there is you know if you are looking for a career change or if you're just thinking to work on climate, you can join this community, work on climate, um, and um, which also has a really funny story. I will just. Um, say hello to Eugene Kirpichov, one of the founders of this community. Uh, he's a Google dropout uh, and he started this community for people who are driven by this passion. And um, he is actually my fourth cousin and I discovered him through 23andMe. And we connected as DNA relatives. And uh, then we started talking about climate and then, you know, a few um months later during covid he discovered uh, he started this community and now he's doing it full time so i'm also a um a volunteer advisor there so if you want to work on climate especially if you have tech skills don't be discouraged uh, just you know join the slack channel and uh, you know get connected there are a lot of jobs uh, and i talk a lot to young people there who come and they feel that then maybe not welcome in the space or, you know, they don't have the right type expertise or uh, they don't have the right type of education. Well, there is no single right type of education. And uh, a lot of it is just passion and perseverance and especially perseverance uh, and um, any and every skill will be useful if you want to put it to good use. So, um, should just go for it and uh yeah i'd say perseverance is very important yeah big time perseverance resilience and following the passion just like you are so um and before optimism. we wrap it though i, I believe linder is also <laughs> yeah. in a phase of fundraising right yeah optimism That's correct. Too, just to <laughs> just to make sure we mentioned that as well yeah uh, yes, yeah, sure. Uh, yeah, Vlinder is now opening a post-seed round. Uh, it is both to scale up uh, our tech site and our carbon project site. Uh, we have rolled out exciting products. We have built the wallet and the exchange and the marketplace, as well as uh, we have seeded five amazing mangrove uh, carbon removal projects. So we want to scale them up and we want to bring our tech products to market. And uh, we are looking for post-seed uh, funding right now. So get in touch if you want to know more. <laughs> Thank you so much, Irina. Thank you so much for having me. And I hope to see a lot of you at uh, upcoming COP27 in Egypt. <laughs>